Hello and welcome to episode three of the Brew Hoop podcast. Uh, at this point, we've pretty much just seemed to thrown out any sort of uh, idea of, of structure in terms of when we're releasing these. I got a wedding this weekend that I'm going to down in South Carolina, and I didn't really feel like recording after 12 hours of driving on Sunday. So Greg and Riley were nice enough to hop on a little bit early and we can discuss some of the pertinent news. Obviously, we'll get into Dante DiVincenzo's debut later in the broadcast, just just stifling debut from the field. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about Christian Wood and the rest of the Eastern Conference in the wake of the Kawhi trade. But I think top of mind for every Bucks fan out there right now is the news that Jabari Parker will become a Chicago Bull. He'd be heading across state lines, joining the uh, cross-state rival, I guess. Uh, and I know it's um, it's it's sort of torn Bucks fandom apart, it seems like, uh, particularly Bucks Twitter over the past couple of days. But I think a lot of people have a lot of different mixed emotions about this for a lot of different reasons. And I'm going to start with Riley because he had a really nice preamble on his uh, Monday morning media roundup, which is a, it's a nice plug for that piece, but a preamble to all of his links this week about some of his feelings about it. So Riley, why don't you start, just tell us how you felt right after the, after the announcement came. Yeah, it's uh well, like you were saying it, it was mixed because the writing felt like it was on the wall for just about forever. Um, the question was kind of how long would Jabari kind of be, uh, you know, twisting in the winds as more and more teams kind of ran low on cap space. But for me, it was kind of a bittersweet um, kind of move on Jabari's part because I remember when we first drafted him or when the Bucks first drafted him that he was going to be, you know, one of the guys. And uh, my brother and I uh, were so excited at his arrival that we actually took off of work uh, the next day and went down to Milwaukee to go to the introductory press conference, which little did I know that would be the last time I'd see Larry Drew with the Bucks organization before he was unceremoniously ejected like two weeks later. Um, but it was just, it, I don't know, it was just good vibes all around. It seemed like we had finally found, you know, the sure surefire star and Giannis was intriguing, but not like the full-on superstar he is now. So um, it's just unfortunate, I'd say, for everybody involved that things didn't work out the way that I think everybody wish it could have worked out. Um, but I think in my heart of hearts, I think it's probably the right move for him to move on. And it's probably the right move for both sides as well. Yeah, before we get into a bit more implications of this in, in terms of the Milwaukee Bucks franchise, Greg, any sentimental thoughts you want to get off your chest about Jabari? Yeah, it's, I mean, Jabari the guy is probably one of the better guys on the Milwaukee Bucks, oh, formerly of the Milwaukee Bucks roster. And it's, it's just kind of a weird separation, I think, for Bucks fans, just because he had been a central focus of the marketing for the past four years. And in the dark times of 2014, 2015, he was touted along with Giannis as being the saviors. Um, and just, it's just weird, right? Like, it's just weird. Because um, <laughs> literally, like, I moved to Milwaukee in November of 2016. And in Schlitz Park, like right off Water Street, one of the first things you notice is, uh, oh, first thing you would have noticed would be a giant banner with Giannis and Jabari like standing back to back and says own the future and now only 50% of that banner is still on the Bucks team it's just weird yeah I was gonna bring up that banner I think it's such a an interesting part of of how Jabari's legacy kind of ties in here I mean I I still remember that that Bucks uniform reveal I wasn't there or anything but I was in Madison just like waiting anxiously like refreshing and, and checking on Twitter because I, I was one of those those big dopes who got got by the 
orange camo reveal. Uh, so I was, uh, it was, I was pretty, pretty embarrassed about that, but I was super excited to see these new unis and then to see that poster come up. I mean, that was just such a central facet of that. And, um, thinking about all of these, these things in terms of, uh, trying to ask people to, you know, vote and, and call their congressperson about the new arena. I mean, like I even like tie up Jabari and a little bit of that because there was all of this hope around the franchise, uh, potentially becoming something new, something refreshed, something with a you know an intense ceiling that we hadn't really seen in a while between him and Giannis. So it, it's tough to see someone like Jabari go after all of the good he clearly did in the community, all of the uh, meaningful you know stuff that he seemed to contribute to the to the Bucks franchise and everything. So uh, obviously he's probably going to do great stuff in Chicago. And I mean, I don't. I don't really hold anything against him. Like I, I hope he does well. I think every guy deserves to to sort of get what get what they want in life. And uh, I, I just think he kind of is. It's just more of a sad case more than anything else. Uh, but I think we should definitely move into what this move certainly means for the team. Whether it was the, in our opinions, the right move for the Bucks or or not. So Riley, when you think about this in terms of the Bucks, you know, franchise moving forward and roster construction, both short and long term. You know, what did you think about this move? Well, I mean, it's a little difficult because you could argue on the one hand that it frees up the Bucks from, you know, tying their hands with a lot of long-term big money. Even if he had gone for like something like the three for $54 million deal that been bandied about, that's still like a significant chunk of change to commit to a guy that, uh, you know, with two torn ACLs and the limited experience at the end of last season, there was obviously gigantic question marks about what his fit would be, um, how he kind of played alongside Giannis, how he fit chemistry wise within the rest of the team. Um, and I think in terms of the implications for this season, the coming seasons, I mean, Jabari hasn't played in, you know, significant stretches of his career. And I think the team as currently constructed is used to playing without Jabari. So um, I'm not sure if it's really going to cause much in the way of a hiccup in terms of, uh, you know, we had as if he was like this really critical guy last season to everything that we were doing. Um, and I think that having Bud coming in and having a new system that also kind of changed things around where you're not going and expecting or needing Jabari to be a gigantic contributor. So um, between how the Bucks were set up roster and potential wise at the end of last season and now, I'm not sure if it you know, really radically changed. You could argue that you swing and miss on what could have been a really high upside guy. But um, I think after his couple of seasons here at the end of last season, it was obvious that he was probably just not, you know, within the cards for the future. Yeah. It's been interesting thinking about his, his fit the past couple of seasons, because, you know, I mean, obviously there was that stretch of 50 games or so where he was like a, you know, a 20 point scorer and everything. Uh, but a lot of Bucks fans know, I mean, like almost, almost over almost universally, like the, the Bucks were generally worse with him on the court. You know, the defensive ratings, um, you know, it went significantly lower when he went off the court. So, I mean, he clearly hadn't figured out a way to translate his, you know, slightly efficient scoring and uh, mod, you know, modicum of, of, of decent passing ability uh, into anything that resembled winning basketball. And, uh, you know, the, the, the people that grasp at the, half or whatever that he showed of good defense in the playoffs. I mean, I just, uh, that's, that just seems uh, ridiculous and, and short-sighted to even think that that means that there's any sort of potential there. I think we've, we've clearly seen what he's able to do. And I mean, um, I, it was weird that 
I, th- I think people – I still think it's weird that, I mean, like the best way he was able to play defense was when he had to hide him on ball. That's just like such a strange component of of who he is as a player. And I think I think that might be one of the more uh, intriguing parts of his legacy here in Milwaukee is he's just such a – such a bizarre player from his from his makeup, uh, from even from his personality to his, his his you know awful defensive lapses. So, you know, what do you think, Greg, about uh, Jabari's legacy just as as a player here, like what he showed and and maybe what he has going forward? No, well, I think it's interesting you use the word bizarre because that's pretty accurate. I think in a year we'll be like, oh yeah, Jabari Parker, kind of a bizarre player for the Bucks. And I think he fell victim to the league evolving in a way that didn't necessarily amp up his already, or the league evolved in a way that moved away from his skill set. Because he came, like, I don't like the comp of a Carmelo Anthony, but like, It's kind of there. And what we've seen with Carmelo in Oklahoma City and even in his time with New York was that homeboy does not shoot a lot of threes. He loves that mid-range. And with Jabari, he would would shoot the three to his credit, but he was also just a volume shooter. And his lack of defensive acumen really hurt him, obviously. And it's just one of those, like, he's so young, but his game feels like a relic. Um. And with the Bulls, like, he will get the time. He will be in a kind of competent coaching staff. Um, I know Fred Hoiberg did a lot of good stuff for Iowa State University, but for Chicago, we'll see. Um, But it'll be interesting how his fit is within the league as a whole. I think he will score as many points per game as – millions of dollars he will make this year i think he'll be like a 20 point score if Ooh, not he'll be take. oh yeah absolutely just Wait. like based off of his minutes and his opportunity and kind of like the cast around him um if not if he doesn't get to 20 i think he'll go at least 18 and 6 which i mean that's basically a 20 point score if you want to convert rebounds to points um, look at look at how quickly it, he came back off of that 20 point thing look at how quickly you shifted like that <laughs> Hey, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Pivot. Uh, but it, I think uh, as far as his legacy in Milwaukee, a lot of people will look at the fact that it was a squandered second overall pick. But I think any potential that he had as a number two pick went out the window the second he tore his ACL for the second time. And I understand that pre-second ACL tear, he was putting up 20 points per game, but that was also – without Chris Middleton on the floor. Like, I think they shared one half of basketball together that season. And I don't think Jabari would have always been as effective as the number three option because with Middleton coming back this year, fully healthy, we saw that he was a clear number two option. And I don't think Jabari would be able to maximize his game and as, as the number three option, which would not have allowed him to live up to the $20 million a year contract. And it would have been just another albatross of a contract that would be unmovable since his game is a bit of a relic. So here's something I think I feel like I feel like the thing about Jabari is that I, his 
and I use bizarre because his mindset still is a player that he had somewhat coming in still films feels so different from like the type of player that he was sold as. And like, I think realistically he could be a, a dope number three option. If that's something that he was comfortable with. I mean, he was shooting threes at a relatively strong clip last year. I mean, if he was just like a glorified floor spacer with the potential to, uh, with like, if he was like, a like basically like, a just a Mirza Toledovic or whatever, who went out there, chucked threes. And then those awful drives where Mirza Toledovic would decide to go to the rim and like, look like a horse with blinders on. Like imagine that with like someone ripped off the blinders and you have like a giant Clydesdale, as opposed to whatever horse you want to choose, like some nice, you know, nice tiny steed or whatever for, uh, you know, for Mirza. I mean, like, what is going you know, on right now, <laughs> I just like, I mean, like, I think Jabari has the potential to be that kind of player. I just don't know if he, in his own mind is anywhere near that mindset yet. And the, and the weird thing about it is for me, and you can, I'll let you react to this Riley, but like, so Jabari comes in, he is billed as like, I am, he is a number one scorer. Like he is a guy who's going to take over the game. He can be like a Carmelo type. He can do all of this, you know, amazing stuff. And maybe this is like, and this is probably where the, we have to start tying in like the idea that his, his time in Milwaukee is going to be completely, um, you know, it's completely analogous with Jason Kidd's time in Milwaukee. And so I think it's important to think about the fact that Jabari comes in with this mindset. You know, he's like a guy who in college seems like he can definitely shoot the three. Jason Kidd basically tells him he's not going to be ready to shoot the three until he's like a third or fourth year player in the NBA, which is outrageous. But then, you know, he's also comes in as a number one scorer. He can hold the ball. He can, you know, create for himself. And then we see him come in and seem like a kind of guy who's really ready to defer. Seems like a guy who just wants to fit in more than anything else. Like try and make sure that his teammates are happy with him as a rookie, as opposed to taking over. So like, how, how do you sort of reconcile those two things in your mind? And like, do you, you know, what do you attribute to that, that to? And it's, it's difficult because I mean, I would definitely say it's, it's indisputable to say that kid and you know, whatever kid's strategy was for trying to quote unquote, get to Jabari, you got to, figure it backfired and that could have been both when he was a rookie and then the amount of time that Jabari was away from the team you know what that ended up doing for like the internal dynamics and what they did in terms of like kids trust or like kids relationship with them but then at the same time I mean I'm not sure if you guys saw Jabari's um comments at his opening presser at in Chicago this afternoon um but he essentially talked about the fact that uh you know he gets paid to score. He doesn't get paid to play defense. Um, and mm. <laughs> so, which was, I mean, it, there's, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, it's not great. It was not great, especially the full quote. If you find it, it's not great. I'm sure you can find the audio somewhere. But it's if he's had that mindset since he came in or something close to that, um, I, I, it might have been like, you know, a, a failure in waiting from the very beginning. Um, and I think it'll work just fine on a bad team like the Bulls where he's allowed to just score, score, score. And I mean, I'm assuming they're going to be a horrific defensive team, so he's not going to be alone on that count. But I, I think it's so hard to determine from the outside because he was so young coming into the league. The only like he, he was at Simeon and then he had the one year at Duke. I have no idea how Coach K is as a coach, but then, you know, you come up and Jason Kidd is your first head coach. And we find out that Jason Kidd is not, the easiest to work with behind the scenes. Um, so I got to figure his growth was stunted, but if he's had the mindset where he's a score first guy and he doesn't want to waste energy on the defensive end, there's not much that could have been done for that. Maybe they could have at the margins made it not as bad with a better coaching staff, but uh, he might've been a flawed player regardless when he came in. 
I think it's one of those things like, like you mentioned, he was at Duke with Coach K, who I think everybody can agree is a better coach than Jason Kidd. So after he leaves high school, as a top recruit, as the guy, as the next Derrick Rose, uh, at this time, it was a good thing to be called the next Derrick Rose in Chicago, not the bad thing. The same with Carmelo. Yeah. yeah. Sort of. Point, yeah. I still like when Carmelo was like Carmelo. <laughs> and he just, from the get-go, it's Simeon. He was the guy. He led him to state championships. He was top top recruit, going to Duke. He's the number one option at Duke as a freshman under Coach K, where at that time – it really wasn't a thing that Coach K embraced in terms of the one and done. He was still very much into the upperclassmen getting the lion's share of the workload. And then he comes to Milwaukee where he's being told the same thing. Like, dude, you are the future. Like, you and this Greek kid are going to tear up the league in, like, three years. Here's a, here's a future Hall of Fame uh, basketball player in Jason Kidd. He's in a coach. How cool is that? Well, turned out not so cool. But it's just one of those things with his mindset. It's like he had been told from day one as a basketball player, you are the guy. You are going to get buckets. Who cares about defense? Probably they said that last part. I don't know. But I can see where his mindset comes from, where he just needs to put up buckets. And he's only 23. So there's still some mental maturity to go through. His brain's not fully formed. Um, yeah. And and if I could add on that just real quick also, I think it's we have to also account again for the fact that this guy has already torn his ACL, the same one, twice in his career. And one, I mean, obviously a horrific injury. You don't know how it's going to endanger your future basketball career. And he essentially went solitary for the recovery process, you know, two separate times in, you know, his relatively short career. And I cannot imagine that Coach Kidd was spending a lot of time reaching out and, you know, consoling him and making sure that he still felt as part of the team because it kind of seemed Jabari had his own personal coach and did his own thing. So I, I got to imagine the two gigantic injuries also had a big role to play in kind of the mental state that Jabari's at now as a basketball player. Yeah. And real quick. So I found I, I found a couple quotes um, and. This seems like a very this is this is definitely like an opinionated article on the Chicago Sun Times, but it, I chose this over Barstool, so uh, give just a little bit of credit. So he went on and he went on the uh, the score six seventy a.m. apparently, and he said, uh, "quote They pay people to score the ball, and I would hope that somebody scores the ball on me if they pay them that much." And then later, "quote I just stick to my strengths. Look at everybody in the league; they don't pay players to play defense." I'm not going to say I won't, but to say that's a weakness is like saying that everybody's weak. That's everybody's weakness because I've scored 30 and 20 on a lot of guys that say they play defense. End quote. Um, yeah. I mean, he got 20 million just based off the fact that he can score without playing yeah. defense. So he's technically not wrong, but in the grand scheme of things, nah, he's wrong. Yeah, I mean, when they when he says they, he he's referring to um, uh, you know an- teams with antiquated roster construction ideas so um nice work bulls i think you know the it's just there, there's it just still feels like there's so much stuff i mean the idea that like i think you're right about the injury i think that definitely you know probably created potentially some sort of schism and in, in between him and, and i mean definitely a kid if he's doing all of these solitary recovery things i mean credit to the recovery staff for everything that they did i mean it was uh, awesome work also credit to jabari for Honestly, I preferred that he was solitary. I could not stand the insufferable Gordon Hayward updates this last year. Uh, you know, props to that guy for coming back from everything. But I 
just like it just made me appreciate whatever Jabari chose for his decision to come back. Um, but you know, I, I mean, you remember in that Zach Lowe article where they talked about Jason Kidd's weird coaching idea where he like has all of his players vote on who's like the alpha yeah. on the team. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like that just that one that seems so ridiculous, like an easy way to ostracize people. And like the, the fact, the fact that like Jabari is like a guy who clearly views himself as someone who's vital to the team, like just basically just like, I can't imagine many times where people would ever raise their hand and be like, Jabari's the guy. Right. Because I forget what happened in that article, but it seemed like some people, like Giannis was the only one or whatever who raised for himself or something. I forget what it was, if you guys recall what it is. But I mean, like, like when when your coach has that mindset and you have this very specific, like, I am going to be great. I've been great for a long time. Um, I've been having these like restrictions put on me, like these shackles basically placed on tight parts of my game that I've haven't had before. I feel like that was probably like a really hard part for him to get over as a player. Uh, compounded with the fact that Jason Kidd seems to basically be like telling him like, yeah, dude, like you're nothing. You know, who's the, you know, who's the leader this year, uh, uh, Zaza Pachulia. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. It does. It doesn't help that apparently kid has the emotional IQ of a piece of wood, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, so my. like Jabari will always be associated with Jason Kidd's failures. And that's just the, biggest stroke of horrible luck for a young man to have in his early career. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be associated with Jason Kidd as a coach in, in like literally any way, um, you know, and he'll be associated with their failures. And it feels like some people are associating this, you know, this Jabari, like everything that's gone down with Jabari as a failure of the front office. And like, I don't know to those people, it's like this was one of the weirdest circumstances for like a second round pick. I mean, this guy, one, he has like a like a very he clearly has like a very different personality from a lot of people. Like he, he like you can tell it in every single interview he's ever done. I mean, he seems like a great caring guy, um, thoughtful. But I mean, at the same time, he also came out in the playoffs and was like, I'm not getting playing time. And it's like, well, dude, well, you know what? We we do partially pay you to pay defense. So like, that would be a nice thing if you flash some of that and then you can maybe get some playing time. But I, you know, I like the other weird part of this whole thing is like the, how mutual it is. And like, I, I get that clearly it made a lot of sense for the bucks to like save face and make this like a mutual thing. And, and I didn't realize this until I was listening to dunk Don talking about it. Um, that like, you can't rescind the qualifying offer or whatever after July 13th, but you can, if you have both the players, approval and like the front office's approval so like there was a weird part of me that was like did they actually wait this long so that no one could say that it wasn't a mutual parting like this was like an actual mutual parting in legal terms like is that a possibility uh i don't know if if the front office put like a high premium on coming off like PR wise correctly, which it seems like it did since that was like, you know, all the language they were using and all the like tweets right. and press releases and everything like that. It wouldn't shock me at all if uh, ownership slash the front office was like, if we can get a little PR move out of this, that'd be sweet. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like, obviously they were going to try and turn this into a PR move if they were rescinding his qualifying offer, but I don't know. I mean like this, this front office and I would say ownership has over the past couple years, um, you know, made decisions where they're like, we want to try and seem like a, like a player friendly team, right? Like, do you guys remember when 
we got rid of Jared Dudley or whatever. Um, and we basically like, didn't we like, we, we like traded him, um, for like nothing. Cause he like wanted to go somewhere else. Right. It was like that. And I think Zaza was the same thing. Like we got like top 55 per- protected second round pick or something like that. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't anything like, you know, bottom five pick in the entire draft, then it just stayed with whatever team. So yeah, we pretty much got rid of a couple of those guys for nothing. Cause we did right by him apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jared Dudley said as much in, in like a, in a podcast, I remember him going on and I mean, like, you know, in my younger days, I, I could like get outraged about that. Guaranteed it was just like three years ago or whatever, but it's like, you know what, I, <laughs> what realistically, like, what are you going to get for these like old veterans? But at the same time, it's like, that was clearly trying to establish this idea of being a place. And they, they said it as much where like players would want to go, like they want to go to Milwaukee. Uh, they're like building, you know, they have this new arena and everything. They have this state of the art training facility. Uh, and I just think that is that should be like a very, very, very small component of your actual decisions between about building a franchise. Like, I just don't really think that's going to pay that big of dividends, particularly in a place like Milwaukee. Like what is actually going to pay off and make people want to come is the fact that we have Giannis. And I don't know, you know, why Brooke Lopez, we happen to get on a good deal. That's great. Maybe some of those parts factored into it, but like between like, you know, basically doing this nice thing for Jabari and like trying to seem like a come off like a, a place that really does care about its players. Like that's always, that's always great. Like I'm glad Milwaukee does that, but I don't know, like maybe they could have also tried to extract like a little more value on the margins, which I think is a thing that this front office for years has not done a good job of doing. Um, I don't know. I've kind of just been ranting. What, what any thoughts, but, Greg? Yeah. Like this goes back to the sunk cost fallacy with Jabari and like, would extracting any sort of value for Jabari on the margins have even have mattered? Um, I think there's more long-term goodwill to be had by showing faith in a player as a human being, as opposed to just like a commodity, as we've seen with just this morning with Toronto trading DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I think there is, I mean, God, Cleveland if people were willing to go to Cleveland to play with LeBron, they'll more than willing to come live in Milwaukee to play with Giannis because Milwaukee is just a better city. And <laughs> I think showing player, like having a history of being player friendly will only aid in Milwaukee attracting Brooke Lopez type players, like guys that are just going to fill a role around Giannis. And that's what you want on serviceable deals. There's value in that. And I think with the Jabari and waiting until they did to make it seem mutual, that's that's a solid little PR move on the margins. Yeah, and I would kind of follow up on that, that like you were saying earlier, Adam, I mean, the situation with Jabari was so unique for a second-round pick that given just the circumstances and everything, like his fluctuating value and the difficulty of trying to figure out a sign and trade. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just not sure if it would have been even like feasible to try and get something at the margins. And if you're going to lose this guy for nothing, anyhow, then you score a couple of points. I'm not, I'm also like you Adam, not a believer in, you know, obviously you don't want to come off as vindictive or, uh, you know, a negative workplace for players, but, I'm not sure how much cachet building up uh, or building up cachet with like agents and stuff really helps out. I mean, you know, 
wouldn't you think Ursan, whose family still lives in uh, Milwaukee, would have given us a little bit of a discount if we were, you know, such a great place to play? And maybe he got a discount. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Maybe oh. he's asking for million dollars a year. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm not a huge believer in like that small stuff. It's great to have, obviously. I would say it's probably, you know, a must-have or a nice little plus. But at the end of the day, everything else is probably going to matter a lot more than whether or not you treated a pick from like whatever three, four years ago, right? Yeah, and I mean, I I agree with you, Greg. Like, I I I didn't think Milwaukee was going to get anything for Jabari. Like, I don't know the, the sign and trade stuff is already so difficult. I didn't really expect them to get anything. Uh, so I was I was totally fine with them letting Jabari go. Um, I don't even I don't even know if we've like talked about that yet. Like, I I thought I think this is the right move for Milwaukee. I think that people um, who are I think that people who are really upset about this move are. Um, simpletons you, sorry would you, oh, oh, oh simpleton. wow sorry okay. sorry i'm sorry <laughs> I, I was gonna say i think people who are really upset about this move are using it as a um i would say a slightly myopic way to um and a microcosm of their own already like large-scale issues with what this front office and, and ownership has done over the past few years like there are realistically like many many moves uh, but preceding this one that people should be far more upset about, right? I mean, Jabari is like a number two overall pick who tore his like ACL two times. Like, I don't know why, like betting on him seems like one of the, like a really weird gamble. He's like ha- had made comments sort of going out against the franchise. Um, you know, I, this just like, isn't really a, a move that like lathers me up. I get why people have the like personal connection and he had this high upside and everything. But like, uh, I, you know, those people need to realize that like he isn't, realistically he isn't a number two pick overall anymore he's just like he's we have to take him at what he is now he has a player who's torn his acl two times relatively unprecedented i mean it's him and davis bertans and i don't know honestly if he winds up being davis bertans right like for the rest of his career that'd be pretty good because he would be playing forever like he'd be playing for a long time that would that would be like a, a win right yeah right so uh i guess there's just there's just like a lot more moves that i think people were upset about at the time and i think this is just sort of the culmination of all of that that anger for some people no i i totally agree um sorry greg and uh i totally agree and it's it's weird because like you know i've seen like a couple of people or a couple different articles talking about you know if the bucks hadn't signed xyz guy or waved or stretched xyz guy you know larry sanders um then (laughs) you know they might have had the opportunity to be able to afford jabari at like I don't know, whatever number, 15, 60 million dollars a season. But I mean, like, even at that much with the cap rising, is would Jabari have been worth that much on this team? I mean, yeah, he scores a lot, but if we can assume that he's going to be just a gigantic negative on defense at all times, it's I don't know. I think even had we had the space, if we had signed him for I don't I wouldn't even be able to give you a number I'd be comfortable with. But I agree completely that was the right move and we shouldn't be you have the you know, um, initial reactions colored by how we felt about Jabari or, you know, all the other issues with the front office notwithstanding. Yeah, and it's just, if you're going to pay $20 million a year for a third scoring option, then I don't think you should be upset by the fact that you're paying like $10 million a year for a fifth or sixth scoring option, just the way that ratio breaks down. That's pretty equal. And it's like Jabari's contract at $20 million a year would have been just as rough to look at as like Henson and Della Vadova. Um, and with the sign and trade, like 
it takes two teams to trade. This isn't like NBA 2K. You can't just, you know, hit the square button for my PS4 users out there and get a handful of teams to be like, hey, we'll give you like two second round picks and this rookie that we signed. Um, that's not really how it works. And the fact, like another thing, like the fact that the Bulls were the only franchise to be like super jazzed about Jabari and create space just for him that's probably not a good sign. They're not really notorious for being good and creative with their cap space. They are very much like a punchline within the league with using their cap space and being uncreative with it. Yeah, I mean, just look at like wanting to also double down on like ACL tear guys with Zach Levine a couple days earlier. I mean... I, I think you're right that the the fact that the market was so cool on Jabari for so long, um, I mean, it, it, for there was a part of me that was thinking maybe even for a while. I mean, maybe he'll just like maybe he'll just end up taking his qualifying offer. Maybe that's honestly the best he'll get. I was, couldn't believe that the Bulls were actually offering him that much money, and it helps that the second year is a team option. But so I mean, it's it's a relatively low risk considering they'll have a decent amount of cap space again next year. But I mean, I, I still couldn't believe that they happened to go to that level. I mean you know, bow down to Mark Bartostein. Um I mean, he just, he, he just does his job like a champ, You're man. Commission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think what other facets of this are there. What, when, what, like when would they have traded Jabari? Cause this past trade deadline, he hmm. came back, I think six days before it happened. He premiered against the Knicks on like a Friday night. It's like, okay. So he had two and a half games. And before that he hadn't played since December or not December of uh, February of 2017 yeah so it's like when would you have traded him like back when his value was super high like the winter of 2016 2017 but even then like why would you trade a guy that young with that much potential at the time just because it's like that's when his peak trade value is so we'll trade him there's no way you could have known all of this would have gone down so just it's so tough to be like we didn't get anything for him but i, I also understand why we didn't uh, the only final thought I have regarding this, and uh, like you said, I'd, I'd like to echo Adam's comments earlier that um, at the end of the day, I hope Jabari is able to find a place in the league and a place that you know he finds fulfilling. Obviously, I hope for nothing but the worst for the Bulls because they're just an insufferable organization. Um, <laughs> but it's, I, I would like to, to try and remind myself at least that when Jabari was drafted, I mean, you have to there's a lot of people that i've seen like kind of upset with the way that it worked out the fact that like joel Embiid was on the board like we could never have known at the time that joel Embiid would actually like recover from any of the injury issues it was like jabari and wiggins one two everybody you know it seemed like everybody got in some sort of steal in that draft so it's I just don't want there to be a ton of revisionism about uh, the way that the whole situation went down or the way that things were handled by the Bucks or by Jabari, really. Um, it's, like I said, at the very top, it was a difficult situation from the get-go, or not from the get-go, but from, you know, his rookie season on. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different factors, but uh, you should set all that aside when kind of reviewing Jabari's time in Milwaukee. Okay, I have a revisionist hypothetical for you guys. Here we go. Say the Bucks do draft joel Embiid over jabari parker it's a great pick could you imagine <laughs> joel Embiid's social media accounts if he had jason kidd as a coach like 
I, I honestly think Jason Kidd would have ruined Joel Embiid. Like Embiid would not be the guy he is today if the Pucks would have drafted him, but he would have just gone on and been a fantastic Twitter follow. The uh, that that hypothetical it makes me sweat a little bit because then we wouldn't get playoff thon, and you know that has a price to all its own, doesn't it? <laughs> well, we don't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, they absolutely so doubled down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what yeah, was that? Wasn't Thon, Joel? Wasn't Thon's rookie year like when Joe? What Thon's rookie year would have been like when Joel's actual rookie year was, right? Yeah, so that's we, exactly. We don't know what we yeah, have, oh what we have coming in, and when there's a rangy guy like that, like Thon with his potential upside, him. his ball handling, you take him. Look at that wingspan. You yeah, take, <laughs> you take him at ten, Riley. Um, but they've gone DJ Wilson after that. Like all, all of his oh, are the exact same, except Joel and Beans have Jabari. <laughs> what a bizarre world! It's you're totally right, though. I mean, Jabari was the the pick that we wanted. I still remember being irate that we lost that lottery to Cleveland. I I was just I was so furious that Cleveland happened to win it again. Um, but I mean, Jabari was the guy. Like Jabari was who Milwaukee wanted. Jabari wanted to be in Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, it was hard not to feel good about the selection. I mean, this is a dude who was going to come in and, and be the cornerstone of your franchise alongside Giannis, put Chris Middleton in the number three banana slot, which I think is probably still where he belongs on a championship team. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's it's just too bad it happened to play out this way. I mean, you can't you can't help the fact he happened to go through two horrific ACL tears. And, uh, you know, I I think the team is going to be. I think the the team this year uh, and was going to be is going to be fine, maybe even better. And I think the people that are like, you know, they've cost their opportunity. Like we're not even going to like enjoy this season or whatever. Like it doesn't really matter. Like they're clear. This front office isn't like playing for a championship. Like Jabari doesn't like Jabari. I don't think was going to be that guy who was going to make that actual difference. Like, you know what, what might've made the difference was like having assets to acquire people who um, are better than Jabari, like maybe not giving up stuff to get Grievous Vasquez, you know, like maybe, um, you know, holding on to uh, all other like a second round pick that maybe would turn out when your team is like perennially very good at second round picks. Like there are just a lot more moves that I feel like I've said before that people should be, you know, a little more upset about in terms of how a team is constructed to try and build a championship team than this Jabari roster, because ultimately at the end of the day, I just don't, I just did not trust this guy to be the kind of guy who was going to, take Milwaukee to the promised land. And um, I think Milwaukee is maybe going to be better off for it. I think he was such a weird player. I mean, he would just come in like a, like a, like a weird flash of lightning that like wouldn't always touch ground. It would just be like kind of there for a little bit and then gone all of a sudden. Um, and I, I just think, uh, you know, I hope that he does well in Chicago, but I feel like in terms of the, uh, you know, egalitarian type of basketball that Mike Budenholzer wants to play, I don't know if Jabari really fit in there because he was kind of like a weird glitch in the system kind of guy. And I know, and Bud is a system guy. Yep. Godspeed Jabari. Good luck out there. All right. All right. Good luck Jabari. Okay. Well now we can touch on the much more important topic of Dante DiVincenzo. Let's talk about present bucks. Um, So he finally made his debut in summer league against the San Antonio Spurs. He came out there um, like a firecracker. Uh, almost the color of his hair, right, Riley? I know Riley Don't had some hot, some hot Dante hair techs. He wants look, to sort of stake out that corner for himself. Look, I don't, I don't want to hold anybody's hairstyle, anybody's looks against them, but 
the and it and part of it is the color of his hair, and I'm not gonna hold that against him. He died <laughs> before he got before he got drafted. I'm not gonna hold he's young. Okay. But the issue is it's such a big haircut and he looks like he's 10 years old. I was watching an interview with him after his, his after his debut at Summer League, and I was embarrassed for him. So uh we can talk about that throughout the season, but it, that really upset me. Were, were you more embarrassed for him because he didn't he went 0 for 8 from the field in Summer League or because of his haircut? I was embarrassed for the haircut. And you know what's even more embarrassing? His teammate was DJ Wilson. And DJ can do whatever he wants with his hair, but that dude's all over the place with his hairstyles too. And somehow he had better hair than Dante DiVincenzo. <laughs> so it was not a really uh, proprietous, uh, yeah, proprietous start for uh, Dante's career with the Bucks. DJ yeah. Wilson's hair is like an abstract work of art. Everybody <laughs> sees what they want to see in it. Uh, yeah, that thing, yeah. I'm not even going to comment on that. All right, so Dante went, uh, he started against the Spurs, wound up only playing 10 minutes. He had to come out after the first half as a precautionary measure. Measure went 0 for 3 from the field, um, which was too bad. 0 for, 0 for 2 from, from 2. I think he had an air ball in that game. That was rough. Uh, then he went to the against the 76ers, played a few more minutes, 16 minutes. Still went 0 for 5 from the field. Got his first point, though, from the free throw line. Um, four rebounds, two assists, three, three turnovers. Jesus. Um, two steals. A negative three overall. Uh, I don't know, Greg, Greg, what did you, I mean, obviously you got like 26 minutes of Dante out there. So like what, any initial thoughts from what you saw? I mean, it's summer league. It's take it with a grain of salt either way, good or bad. Um, the encouraging signs for Dante DiVincenzo would be that he did some positive stuff that in college he didn't necessarily show like, like he was a very crisp passer um he was moving it when the play dictated it he was in there grabbing some rebounds he was active defensively and that's awesome because that's exactly what Boonholzer wants out of a combo guard like DiVincenzo uh and obviously the negatives uh just couldn't find his range from beyond three and that happens with shooters especially in a compressed format like summer league where he's playing two games in two days or three days uh, sometimes you're just cold and you're not feeling it riley besides the obvious obvious takes you've had already anything else stick out to you uh the dude is not afraid to jack up off balance three pointers uh hopefully he cleans that up once the season comes no i oh, let it fly baby yeah, well, <laughs> make it do that too. As long as he's not dribbling two feet within the three-point line and then shooting from there, I'll be totally okay with completely off balance or like he's falling away from the basket three-pointers. No, um, I would agree with Greg's analysis that he showed a lot of different facets of his game and like none of the stat lines were flashy. It did not help that he scored one point and that one point was a free throw, obviously. Um, but it seems like he's able and willing to contribute in other facets of the game, which is good. Uh, obviously like the combined 20 minutes of his play is not enough to even like try to get a sense of what kind of player he's going to be. So I don't really have much in the way of hot takes, not the best start, uh, but uh, at least he's willing to shoot threes. So that's good. Yeah. It was interesting because he was able to get matched up against both Lonnie Walker and Zaire Smith in, in consecutive games, which was cool for, 
uh, me personally to be able to see and compare and contrast uh, his ability to those guys and people I would have preferred the Bucks to draft personally. Um, so it wasn't always great. It wasn't great when Lonnie Walker got hurt, but it wasn't great when he was like rifling crazy passes that he was jumping up and down. And he, I mean, he shot terribly in summer league too. So, um, you know, I'm not going to take too much away from Dante's game. Uh, I'll, you know, let's say I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you guys two plays that stood out to me. One, something that stood out to me in uh, watching like the very brief highlights that I had of him were he, he got a steal on defense and um, really quickly was able to, uh, basically be, be from beyond half court, like rifle a pass in between two defenders, like straight on a, like, like a licorice lot, like a licorice, like straight line pass to a guy up in the front court for an easy finish. Like Milwaukee weirdly has, has issues finishing in transition. So I think that was a really good sign. And I think him, him showing that is, is a good sign um, for his ability to potentially get some playing time out there for bud and, and make Milwaukee's transition offense more potent. Second one was when he, he, he actually leaped and like blocked a shot like a two-handed volleyball. I think he, I think he might've been like done a two-handed volleyball, like plumbing yeah, yeah. block style. Right. Yeah. I like did not. I just, I saw him barely do that sometimes in college. And I was like, I just really doubted whether he was going to actually be able to do that. And granted it's just summer league, but I mean him seeing him actually do that. I was like, okay, well at least this is a guy who I kind of, at least notice out there. I mean, like I noticed Rashad Vaughn in summer league, but that was just because like he happened to have the ball and would just like kind of rip off a lot of shots. Like I noticed Dante in ways that I think are more important and ways that actually uh, gave me a little bit of hope that he might actually could do some like smaller contributions this season. Yeah. And like last summer league, DJ Wilson's big knock was, Oh, this guy is visibly afraid of contact and getting into the lane. <laughs> Whereas Steven Chenzel's like, Oh yeah, I'll mix it up. I don't care. Let's do it. So it's encouraging. Yeah. Yep. My uh, my only piece of advice, Dante. I'm gonna go back to the hair real quick. I'm sorry, guys, but <laughs> Dante, your nickname is already the big ragu. That is not a great start to your NBA career. Take my advice. Change the hair. We'll forget any of this happens, and uh, have a good rookie season. Yep, we'll, uh, we'll we won't see Dante for a while now, so it was it was good to at least see him for a little bit. Well, let's uh, let's just move on to the last couple topics here. We'll talk about um, Bucks making a roster move and maybe talking about a bit of this Kawhi move. So, well, one last interesting thing on Dante is that like you can you can clearly see like if you were like mind melding with him and like his idea of basketball, it clearly seems to fit with what Bud wants to do, which we touched on a lot in the last episode, which is like Bud sort of getting his his fingers and identity on this roster. I mean, like Zach Lowe came out on his podcast and basically confirmed that Bud was the guy who wanted, who wanted Ursan, you know, flat out. And we talked about how Brick Lopez also sort of fit that role. So uh, you could, you kind of already see Mike Budenholzer getting his tentacles into, in, into roster construction, which like we said last week is something to watch. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, I think it'll, Dante will fit at least conceptually with his willingness to kind of keep the ball moving and the fact that he's not afraid to take, you know, outside shot when he gets the chance. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he carves out, if any, between uh, with all the other guards on the roster. But conceptually, theoretically, he should fit quite well within the system. Yeah. And at least like his his with the theoretical system in which he's fitting, like kind of makes sense. You know, like, like I, I didn't even know like what system Jason Kidd like wanted a guy and he's like all right i'll get mirza um i'll get michael beasley mm, i'll get uh some other friends of mine you know i'll get like uh we'll get we'll get plumley in here you know it seemed like a weird mismatch 
we'll get Kenyon Martin in here for like two oh, weeks. Uncle Buck. Uncle yeah. Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about Uncle Buck. Uh, okay. All right. Well, let's let's get to the last part here. So the Bucks, um, you know, I, I think they they waived Marshall Plumley or um, he's he's at least he's off of he's out of his two way offer. So the Bucks now have one open two way. The other one's filled up with Xavier Munford. Um, there was a lot of talk, you know, over summer league about how how hype uh, everyone was over Christian Wood. I mean, it, but the reality is that just because he played in a Bucks uniform, it doesn't give the Bucks any rights. It just happens to mean that he's like practicing with their coaches and they get a better look at at in summer league, a better peek at whether he's actually going to fit within their system. Um, but the Bucks don't really have any particular rights coming out of summer league just because he played with them and it you know the by all accounts it seems like he's trying to worm his way towards a towards a full nba contract so um i don't know any closing thoughts on, on christian wood and and whether you think he uh he you want to be able to bring him in like is he worth uh filling an open roster spot i mean because it sounds like he's probably not going to be able to be interested in a two-way what do you think greg i think he's worth it but like you said i don't know if the bucks are willing partners uh but yeah my parting thoughts on christian wood is that i am officially awarding him the rashad vaughn summer league mvp championship belt so congrats Mm. christian uh i would follow that up um i think he'd be an interesting fit i think there's a question as to what kind of team he's looking for i think like you said it's clear he's looking for like a full-time you know, position on a roster. And part of the question is if he's looking for a full time, maybe he'll accept like being kind of end of the bench, but he'll probably try to look for a situation where he could theoretically at least get some minutes. And between Brooke Lopez and John Henson, who are both like whatever quote unquote established veterans, and then Thon, who I'm thinking is going to get, you know, spot minutes for developmental purposes. I'm not sure if Wood sees an opportunity here or if Bud even sees an opportunity that he'd really want or need to play him a lot so uh super cool having him on the team uh obviously great that he did so well for himself and hopefully he's able to find a spot but i'm just not sure roster construction wise if uh, it makes sense for him to come to milwaukee yeah i think that makes sense but thank you christian wood for making summer league like miles and miles more watchable it was uh, otherwise we were staring down like a, a dj wilson showdown pretty much every game and a little bit of sterling brown obviously sterling brown showed out but uh, it was it was already really really hard to get through all those games. Summer league, I am very I can't like it. It's only like what like a week and a half, and it's by Sunday night. I was like, how is this still going on? It, the Bucks only played like five games. It was I don't know. I couldn't watch anymore. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, uh, I just ended last night and I was like, oh, that thing's still going on. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm so not used to the Bucks having such a deep playoff run of. Uh, making it to the second game in the summer league playoffs, <laughs> so that threw me off quite a bit. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, it gets a lot of outsized influence because obviously all the crappy teams are like, oh, finally, if we can finally see what our top lottery picks are like. But then everybody generally sucks, and it's all like fringe guys or guys who are going to be playing overseas, um, even though it gets full wall to wall ESPN coverage. But yeah, no, it's it's uh, after a couple of weeks, it kind of melts your mind a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to number one thing I won't miss about Summer League is the um, broadcasting. Um, you know, kudos to the people that go out there, but sometimes it's pretty darn rough. The best was when when uh, the before that first Summer League game when they just flashed a white dude on the screen and the guy was like, oh, there's Dante DiVincenzo. He's going to oh. play for the Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. 
so I won't miss that. Uh, definitely won't miss um, some of the uh, awkward interviews, uh, in which did, you know, I just won't, I won't miss those at all. Won't miss the picture in picture that occurs with those awkward interviews. Who would ever have guessed that the GM who drafted this guy thought he was going to be a really good player? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the amount of insight we got on those those types of things were awesome. Um, won't miss the ridiculous interviews that they do. Sometimes, I, you know what I wish they would do? I wish they would interview the guys who are like who have like struggled and actually have interesting stuff to say about like what happened for them to get there. Like, yeah, I don't like I don't care about Dante going playing for 10 minutes and I know like obviously the casual viewer does, but I don't care about Dante playing 10 minutes going over three from the field and not even playing in the second half. Right. Like the MLB all-star game, they mic'd up players like wild play was happening. Why couldn't we just like mic up Christian Wood and while he's on the bench, be like, Hey, so this is your third summer league. Do you think you're going to do it this year and like get a full guaranteed contract? Like that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. The guys who have like G league experience and, And kind of contrasting that and, you know, what it's like coming into summer league. Because like, I can only imagine if you're some dude from overseas and you come in, like, it's, it's got to be just such a strange uh, situation. Yeah, or it's like, oh, are you playing for a G League contract or an overseas contract? Like, that would be really interesting to hear, like, domestically grown players, like, what their thoughts are on that. Or like, but tra- not, yeah. Go ahead, Greg, sorry. Uh, just, but yeah, it's cool to learn that like John Horst has faith in Dante DiVincenzo. <laughs> yeah, that was a, quite a revelation. Even like, I mean, like Travis Trice has been on the team for a couple years, actually made some clutch shots down the stretch to help us win a game. And like, I would be interested to know about like what he's even been doing, like what, why he did, why he yeah. wants to come back to the Bucks. Like, dude, you've been over in Australia. Like, how does the summer league competition match up with Australia and like the Australian Basketball League? I think it's called the NBL, National Basketball League. Like, they're going on their second year of having games uh, against NBA teams in the preseason. Like, that's cool. Hype that up. Yeah, okay. All right. So, everything for ESPN. You're welcome, ESPN. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, we're, now that we're all executives, this was good. This is a good, se- this is a good segment. Um, okay. Last thing let's touch on. Clearly, the big news of the day is the um, disgruntled trade between the San Antonio Spurs and Toronto Raptors, where the Raptors sent out DeMar DeRozan, Yaka Pirtle, and a protected pick next year, 1 through 20. They got back Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, which obviously shakes up what people thought was probably going to be the pecking order of the of the East. I mean, or, or if anything, it moves Toronto up one spot. But I think it it definitely changes people's perception of Toronto, if nothing else, since there's kind of, um, I would say, like a, a, a decent amount of like a NBA uh, Twitter, like uh, intelligentsia that think, you know, DeMar DeRozan is pretty terrible. And obviously Kawhi Leonard is like a top two player at his peak. So, um, you know, Greg, how do you think this sort of, what, what shift do you think this has to the Eastern Conference ladder? Uh, in the near future, probably not too much. Like, I think people are really overvaluing what Kawhi Leonard will even bring to Toronto. Because within like two hours of this trade being announced, like on Twitter, immediately from Kawhi's camp, they're like, yeah, he doesn't want to be in Toronto either. So <laughs> I don't know. Like getting 100% out of DeMar DeRozan as opposed to like maybe 75% out of Kawhi Leonard is a negative trade off for Toronto. Like they just got rid of an all NBA talent that had two years plus a player option for a third for a rental for an unmotivated player and like Danny green, he opted into a player option. So he's most likely gone after this upcoming season too. 
So it's like, well, they're really just pushing their chips to the center, trying to take over the LeBron power vacuum and hoping against hope that they're better than a full, a fully weaponized Celtics. And then post 2018-2019 season, I mean, I don't know what the rebuild's going to look like because Kyle Lowry is over the hill. And then they basically have OG Anunobi and Fred Van Vliet. It's like, okay, so that's who you're building around. Got it. Okay, cool. Instead of having DeMar DeRozan to kind of like hedge the rebuild sting a little and like help the younger guys learn how to lead and like mesh well within the organization. I don't know. I don't think it was such a slam dunk for the ramp for the Raptors that everybody else thinks it was. Cause like Kawhi is a very unmotivated player right now. Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, I'm going to miss the DeMar DeFrozen jokes. Uh, I, th- I think those had a lot of resonance because he was playing in Canada and Toronto's cold. Ha ha. Um, kind of looking at the state of the Eastern conference from last year going into this year, I think you could argue that, I mean, I'm just going to run through the top eight real quick. Um, mm-hmm. So Toronto top, uh, I'd say they're probably going to be vying for a top four seed, assuming that Kawhi shows up. Uh, if he doesn't, that'll be a super interesting situation. Boston, obviously they'll be, they've improved just by adding guys and getting healthy. Philadelphia improved. Cleveland, they're probably going to fall off a cliff potentially. Indiana, probably, I'm not sure. They had a quietly good offseason, I'd say. So they'll be kind of interesting as well. Miami hasn't really done anything. Then there's Milwaukee. Uh, the Wizards are a time bomb waiting to detonate at any second with uh, all those smiling personalities over there. Um, so I, I just think it's there's a lot of room for the Bucks to have a huge upswing. And th- I mean, I think a top four seed is... I mean, we were saying this like a year ago, and of course we got the seventh seed because of course, but I'd say a top four seed is for sure within the realm of possibility. Um, and yeah. I'm just going to get sad when uh, it's inevitable that we somehow match up still with the Raptors in the first round and lose again. So uh, four just five. keep, yeah, exactly. Keep an <laughs> four or five. So keep an eye out for that. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think there's clearly room for Milwaukee to move up. I mean, I don't, I don't really think this changes a whole lot for Milwaukee. I think, I think Toronto is still going to probably perform at around the same level they were going to before. Um, if they can keep, I mean, obviously this is like, if they keep Kawhi, then this is like, a, then they, then their long-term upside is, is a lot higher if he happens to be the same player. But I mean, in the short term, I don't think it changes what it's going to happen in the East a whole lot. And I think, I think it's just important to remember that Milwaukee has like a lot of opportunity to improve. And the people who going back to the Jabari discussion, like the people that think that like everything is lost now. I mean, it's like, I, like, I can't, I can't do that again. Like, I mean, like there was just like, there was so many, like the fact that we would watch all these like Jason Kidd coach games. And it was like, like all that mattered was like Jason Kidd was the coach. And it was like pretty clear. We were just like going on this, like this death March. There was like very little belief in him. <laughs> it was like, so it was just like so obvious that like he didn't, he wasn't going to be the guy to lead us somewhere that like, I'm just like, I am not down to already like shut that door. I like, I, I need the chance to actually like see a season with Mike Budenholzer, who I believe in. Like, I, I, I need a chance to see what he's able to actually do with this roster. Um, I think enough smart people that smart, smart NBA writers that I like, like Mike Budenholzer. Um, and, you know, I, my, my reservations about his roster construction aside, I think he's like, obviously a huge, huge upgrade. And I'm very much down to see like what kind of improvements he's going to be able to make on this team. Uh, you know, even if the roster isn't like a, you know, vastly changed from last year. 
uh, question, would you guys have traded for Kawhi? I don't know what the exact no. Yeah, I was going to say, it seemed pretty obvious from Greg's uh, preamble there, which way you'd go on that. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, like, assuming they'd have to give up, like, Chris and Malcolm or something like that. No, like, that that would totally shrink <laughs> the Bucks' like, window for contention from, I don't know, three to five years down to just this season. Because, like, you can there's a very realistic opportunity to extend Chris Middleton who can become a reliable second or third option for you, which would extend your championship window. But if you trade him for a season of an unmotivated Kawhi Leonard, what are you doing bucks? That would be the most bucks move ever. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm super fascinated to see how they figure out next, next off season. I think it's a really big one. I'm, I'm really curious to see how they handle Eric Bledsoe. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like he's very much like probably available. Uh, Zach Lowe alluded, or it was either Zach Lowe or Windhorst alluded to the fact that like, if the price were right, the Bucks would probably be open to trading Chris Middleton. There were like those whispers last year about potentially Middleton and, and Brogdon for like Kyrie or something. So, um, you know, it, I think this next year is a big one. And I think we're going to have um, going into next season, we'll have a lot of, I think we'll have a lot of clarity about what type of, of, of roster this team uh, is envisioning to, to build around Giannis at least for the last two years while he's under contract. Yep. Kind of an important couple of years coming up here. So hopefully Bud turns the, the whole situation around and we're coming back here a year from now celebrating a deep playoff run, or at least, you know, we can dream about it at least. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows, maybe uh bulls don't exercise Jabari's team option. He comes right back next year. Yeah. He loves Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee. That would be. I don't even. I'm not even going to think about that. I'm sorry for saying that. Uh, Dante, change your hair. That's my final <laughs> note today. For God's uh, sake, change your hair. All right. Well, on that beautiful note, we'll end it. Uh, check out all of our stuff on BrewHoop.com. Uh, we'll be back at some point in the future, maybe like a two weeks or something. We'll try and make this more regular once uh, summer vacays and eating into all of our schedules. And uh, yeah, talk soon. Thanks again for joining us. of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking